All right. Well, I know most everybody in here, but in case you don't, I'm normally up here leading worship. My name is Jason, and uh, I'm the worship leader here at Oikos, and I had the privilege of preaching today. I was graciously invited by Pastor Aaron, and uh, I usually preach, I think, about once a year, I think. <laughs> so this, you guys are here on the right Sunday. <laughs> Hope, hopefully. <laughs> well, I can't think of a better song than to start the message today than No Longer Slaves. Um, as we were singing that chorus, uh, Jonathan, can we just can we put the chorus up? It says, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And I love how the Holy Spirit works because um, I knew this would be a good song for this Sunday, but I didn't necessarily know how good it would be because this is exactly what we're going to be talking about today is the connection between identity and fear. The, the connection between identity and fulfilling God's purpose. The connection between identity and grit. And grit, so this is the series that we've been in. This is the last Sunday of grit. And so hopefully by this time, you know that there's three parts to grit. The first thing is that grit involves passion. Passion. The second thing is that grit involves perseverance. And lastly, the third thing is patience. And so this is the life that the Lord calls us into as his sons and his daughters. As his spiritual family, we've been called and invited to step forward and live a life marked by this thing called grit. Now, I think grit in particular is, is not necessarily a word that, that I used before Pastor Aaron kind of introduced it uh, into our first of our Oikos staff meetings and, and, and now through this sermon series and through conversations, whether they're here or missional communities, uh, just with this sermon series, is I kind of thought when I thought of grit, as the movie True Grit. Now, for me, when I think of True Grit, I think of Jeff Bridges, but you guys that are maybe a little bit my senior think of Clint Eastwood. So, depending on... <laughs> what? John Wayne? See, there we go. There's the first... <laughs> there it is. Like I said, maybe there's a reason I preach once a year. So... <laughs> Anyhow, see, see, look at that. I'm 35, so that just means you guys are really old who knew that. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Passion, perseverance, and patience. <laughs> These three things lead us to fulfilling purpose. And as I was preparing for this message, I was thinking, great. So for us, when we step forward in grit, we have this passion and perseverance and patience that rooted in our identity is that then we will get to fulfill our purpose. And so I want to ask you, do you know your purpose? If I were to, to call you out right now, which I won't, and came to ask you, why did God put you on this earth? What is your purpose on this earth? Why are you here? What is your purpose? What is your identity? We have a lot of things that we do. We 
work, whether inside or outside the church, where I know that a number of us here work in banks or oil and gas or finance, ministry, consulting, um, restaurants, the list goes on and on and on. And all these things can impact our identity. But the invitation this morning is that what is our primary identity? And that's what we want to hinge on in our primary identity as God's sons and daughters. And so as we wrap up our series on grit, we're going to be hearing the story of Esther. And I absolutely, I love this story. And, and we have a video that we're going to watch about that just to kind of give us the context um, for what we're going to be in this morning. So as we listen to uh, the story of Esther, I want us to think about these things. I want us to think about identity. I want us to think about purpose. I want us to think about our passion that we have. And I also want us to think about what are the fears that overcome us? How often do we get paralyzed by fear? And how often are we moving forward in faith? And how do these things all have to do with grit? Let's go ahead and watch this video as we hear the story of Esther. One day, the queen of Persia embarrassed the king in front of the lords of the court. They all agreed the king should replace her. So an order went out saying all the beautiful virgins were to come to the palace. From them, the king would choose a new queen. Esther was a beautiful Jewish woman who had been raised by her uncle Mordecai. She went to the palace because of her beauty and virtue. Her uncle told her not to tell anyone she was Jewish. In the course of time, she was selected to be the new queen. Soon after this, two events happened about the same time. The first was that Mordecai heard a plot to kill the king. He reported it, and the plot was stopped. His good deed was recorded in the official records. The second was making a man named Haman the highest-ranking official in the government. From then on, people bowed when he walked by, everyone except Mordecai. When Haman saw this, he became angry and wanted Mordecai killed, but he wanted more than that. He wanted to totally destroy the man's race. So he went to the king and said, There are people in the empire who are different than everyone else. They don't obey your laws because they have their own. It's not good to let them live. Allow me to serve you by organizing their destruction. It would be my honor to personally pay for the cost of doing this. The king was pleased at Haman's willingness to serve the kingdom. So he gave him the authority to destroy the Jewish people. Haman set a date and then set out a proclamation. It said all the Jews were to be killed on that date. This would include the men, women, and children. Their possessions were to be given to those who did the killing. Once the proclamation was translated into many languages, it was sent out to all the nations in the empire. Fear and panic ripped all the Jews of the land. Esther was in the palace and didn't know about this decree. Soon she heard that Mordecai was mourning in a public place. She sent a servant to ask him what was wrong. Mordecai told the servant everything and gave him a copy of the decree. He said, tell the queen she must talk to the king and beg him to have mercy upon her people. She sent a message back to him. No one is allowed to go before the king without an invitation. Those who do are put to death unless he points the golden scepter towards them. 
It's been 30 days since he has last sent her. Mordecai sent a message back to her. Don't assume you'll escape just because you live in the palace. Listen, if you don't help, your people will be delivered by some other means. Still, you will die. I believe you were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. She sent back a note. Tell our people to fast for three days. They're not to eat or drink anything. My servants and I will do the same. Then I'll go and stand before the king, even though it is against the law. If I die, I die. After three days, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court so the king could see her from his throne. When he looked up, he was pleased to see her and immediately pointed the golden scepter towards her. She walked up and touched the top of her. He said, tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. She said, if it pleases you, I want you and Haman to come to a banquet I have prepared. Done, said the king. Guard, run get Haman and bring him here. We're going to Queen Esther's banquet. After the banquet, the king said, now tell me your request so I can give it to you. O king, if it's true you want to grant my request, please bring Haman and come to my banquet tomorrow. I'll tell you my request at that time. So here we have an incredible story about the Jewish people here. We have the story here how it continues, because really this was just about half the story. That from here we know that, that Haman, who, who hated Mordecai, he went and he built gallows, gallows at his residence to hang Mordecai, because Mordecai as a Jew refused to bow down and to pay homage to Haman. And so then the king finds out that Mordecai actually had saved him because he had heard about a plot that, the, uh, that a couple of, the, the, of the, the eunuchs were going to assassinate him. And then the king actually has Haman honor Mordecai. Okay? And then Esther makes a request to save the Jewish people and actually accuses Haman at a banquet that she threw. And the king ends up hanging Haman on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. The decree then against the Jews is reversed. The Jews are saved. And then the Jews are actually able to kill 75,000 of their enemies across the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire. So here's our context. Okay? So the book of Esther, um, all this is taking place roughly uh, around 450 B.C. in the Persian Empire in the capital city of Susa. And so kind of just so we can get our modern-day trajectory, this is um, in, in modern-day Iran, okay? And what I, what I actually found interesting about this is that Mordecai is the first man in the Bible that is actually called a Jew. And so before that, we often hear them, heard them referred to as the Israelites or as the Hebrews. Uh, but in, in this time frame, around 500 B.C., is that um, those from the land of Judah were actually, we were exiled from Jerusalem to the Babylonian Empire by Nebuchadnezzar. And Mordecai and Esther uh, were a part of those who were exiled. And so they were called the Judaites, which then Judaites translated and kind of became known as the Jews. So that's a little bit of something that I learned as preparing for this text today. And so Mordecai, his relationship with Esther was that 
that they were cousins. In the video, it, it also can refer to Mordecai as, as Esther's uncle. Um, and so Mordecai, his uncle, who was Esther's father, Esther's parents passed away, and so Mordecai adopted Esther. Her Jewish name was Hadassah, and so, so Mordecai adopted Esther as they li lived in the capital city of Susa. So that just kind of gives us a little bit of our context for this morning. And so we have some key players here. We have King Ahasuerus, we have Haman, we have Esther, and Mordecai. And today, I actually wanted to focus a little bit on Mordecai, because when I looked at him and read him in the scripture, is that when I looked at who had grit, I actually saw a little bit more grit in the beginning with Mordecai than I did with Esther. And uh, so we'll, we'll focus on Morty this morning. Um, so Morty, an exiled adoptive parent. Um, and that just kind of says to me that, you know what, maybe he has a bit of grit because I think the Vanderwaters might have a little bit to know about grit. And while they haven't adopted anyone necessarily, um, is that just this, this passion of walking alongside somebody else's children requires a little bit of grit. Um, and so with that, I think Mordecai is a good place to start. So I want to turn to Esther uh, chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. It says this. In the fortress of Susa, there was a Jewish man named Mordecai, son of Jair, son of Shemel, son of Kish, a Benjamite. He had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the other captives when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took King Jeconia of Judah into exile. And Mordecai was the legal guardian of his cousin Hadassah, that is Esther, because she had no father or mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was extremely good looking. When her father and mother died, Mordecai had adopted her as his own daughter. I want to continue here into Esther 2.11. It says, every day Mordecai took a walk in front of the harem's courtyard to learn how Esther was doing and to see what has happened. So here's what we have. If we can remember from the video, I know sometimes it's a little hard to remember things that we see in the video. And so we have King Ahasuerus, who for 180 days was putting on exhibit all the riches of his kingdom. And for the last week, for the last week of those 180 days, he had a big banquet. And to, and to end the banquet... He wanted to show off Queen Vashti. He wanted to just put her on display uh, in front of everybody, and she refused. Okay? She refused. And so that made him a little irritated that she would disobey her husband, the king. And so he consulted with his cabinet on what the consequence should be. And uh, they all, the wise men of his council decided that she should be relinquished from her title and that they would replace her with a new queen. And so then of all the provinces, uh, the all 127 provinces there of the Persian Empire, King Ahasuerus uh, invited all of the beautiful, most beautiful virgins into his harem, into his court, so that the most beautiful woman might be chosen to replace the queen. Now, what's interesting is this was no easy matter um, because there was a process to being chosen to be the this to be the next queen, and so the king's eunuchs would be the ones who 
would take care of these virgins, those who were battling for, for the title of queen, and that this process was, was a little bit of work. So that if you, when you have been brought to the court, is that there was actually a year of grooming that took place. That in this year, there was six months of diet changes and six months of beauty treatments uh, before she even got to see the king. And uh, so anyhow, so this was a little bit, required some grit, I think, on, on um, the women's parts. And so anyhow, by the time we get here, is that um, Esther had been kind of transferred from the care of Mordecai into the care of the eunuchs. And what I love here is that Mordecai, he loved, he loved his cousin. He loved his daughter because she was adopted. So I'll, I'll kind of refer to me as, as daughter, adoptive daughter. Um, is that he loved his daughter. He loved Esther. And even though she was taken, he didn't, he didn't stop. And so as we just read in verse 11, is that every day Mordecai walked to stay close to her. Um, he didn't just let her be gone out of his presence. Good example of grit. And so how did all this mess start again? So I want to read Esther chapter 3. We're going to skip ahead. Esther chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. After all this took place, King Ahasuerus honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and he promoted him in rank and gave him a higher position than all the other officials. The entire royal staff at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman because the king had commanded this to be done for him. But Mordecai would not bow down or pay homage. The members of the royal staff at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's command? When they had warned him day after day, and he still would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see if Mordecai's actions would be tolerated, since he had told them he was a Jew. So now by this time, Esther was indeed chosen to be queen. She was indeed chosen to be queen, and Mordecai continued to stay by the gates. And so Haman, this palace guard, was elevated, and that the king's decree was that everybody who was passed by Haman had to bow down and pay homage to him, but Mordecai would not. So I want to get back to identity. Who is Mordecai again? He was a Jewish man. He was a child of God. Mordecai was a worshiper of the king of kings. He was a worshiper of Yahweh. He was an exile in a foreign land. And what I love about Mordecai is that he knew who he was. And I love this quote from Craig Groeschel. He's a pastor in Oklahoma. He says, when you know who you are, you know what to do. When you know who you are, you know what to do. And I think oftentimes when we find ourselves wondering who we are is that oftentimes we end up going down a path of, you know, maybe it's fear, maybe it's sinfulness. And so when we know who we are, we know what to do. And Mordecai refused to bow down and to worship and to pay homage to Haman. And so um, in, in Esther 4, 1 through 11, it says this. 
So when Mordecai learned all that had occurred, he tore his clothes. Let me back up. So what happens here is that because Mordecai would not bow down, is that Haman then brings to the king that not just Mordecai be killed, but every single Jewish person in the Persian Empire. And so there was to be planned a mass genocide, a mass genocide, all because of Mordecai. <laughs> and, uh, and so, but Mordecai remembered who he was, and this was a repercussion. And so once we get to chapter 4, here's what we have. So when Mordecai learned all that had occurred, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went into the middle of a city, and cried loudly and bitterly. He went only as far as the king's gate, since the law prohibited anyone wearing sackcloth from entering the king's gate. There was great mourning among the Jewish people in every province where the king's command and edict came. They fasted and wept and lamented, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Now when I think of, of grit and passion and perseverance and patience, I see Mordecai once again here, who knew who he was, that this is what his people did, that when there was mourning, they put on sackcloth, they put on ashes, and to think that if I was in a foreign land with, with practices that are different than I was, would I more likely continue to act on what the Lord wanted me to do in this perhaps, this foreign, this foreign practice of putting sackcloth and ashes? Uh, or would I maybe be at home. But Mordecai was passionate about God. Mordecai was passionate about his people. And he wanted to make sure that, that, this, that this mass genocide would not happen. So we continue with four. It says, Esther's female servants and her eunuchs came and reported the news to her. And the queen was overcome with fear. She sent clothes for Mordecai to wear so that he would take off his sackcloth. But he did not accept them. Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who attended her, and dispatched him to Mordecai to learn what he was doing and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him everything that had happened, as well as the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the slaughter of the Jews. And Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa, ordering their destruction so that Hathak might show it to Esther explain it to her, and command her to approach the king, implore his favor, favor, and plead with him personally for her people. Hathak came and repeated Mordecai's response to Esther. And Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to tell Mordecai, all the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned. The death penalty unless the king extends the gold scepter, allowing that person to live. I have not been summoned to appear before the king for the last 30 days. Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. And so here we have Mordecai. We have a Jewish man who knows who he is, who is willing to go to the king's gate in sackcloth and ashes to mourn for the future destruction of his people. And that we have him having that grit. He knew his passion. He was willing to persevere. And he knew that it was time to act. That Mordecai was moving forward, not out of fear, but out of faith. 
And we read here that, that Esther, at this time, she was queen, but her initial posture here is one of fear. She's overcome by fear when she sees what Mordecai is doing. She has no idea what's going on, for she had not yet heard of this decree. And if you can also remember, is that, is that when, when Esther started this, I don't know, call it a, a royal beauty pageant before she was queen, is that Mordecai was specific and he said, do not tell them that you are a Jew. And so King Ahasuerus did not know that she was part of this Jewish race, neither did Haman, neither did anybody. And so here is that she did not know what her uncle, what Mordecai was doing in the sackcloth. She was overcome with fear. And then Mordecai tells her that she needs to go to the king to save her people. And her first response is that I haven't been summoned by him in, in, in a month. And if I go to him, there's, it's likely that I may be killed. So posture of faith versus posture of fear. Let's talk about fear. How often are you overcome by fear? How many fears do you have? What does it look like for, for you to face your fears? That I know for me uh, is that I would say that one of my greatest fears is simply the fear of not being liked. It sounds pretty simple, but it's amazing how, how paralyzing that can be because it requires vulnerability. Um, it requires um, trust. What are your fears? How does it manifest? So when we talk about this grit, I believe that it starts with identity. It starts with knowing that you're a child of God and knowing all the promises that come with that. And from this place of identity as God's sons and daughters is that we, we get to step forward in our passions. And that with these passions, we get to persevere because we know that God is with us. And that we know that we can be patient because we know that God is in control. Because we know that God has a purpose. Now, I mentioned earlier, I said, do you know your purpose? Do you know why you are here on this earth? And I tell you, I, I love the Bible app because it has a search feature on that where you can just basically put in any word and it will pull up Bible verses. It'll pull up in, with relevance um, or by book, all this kind of stuff. So when I put in purpose, you know, there was not one single thing about my purpose, not one single thing about your purpose. It's about God's purpose. So perhaps it's not about longing after what is my purpose in life, but it's what is my posture, recognizing that the Lord perhaps has many, many, many purposes for us. And we know that God's main purpose is to reconcile you and me in this world to be one with him, that everybody might be saved. And that we get to actually fulfill several purposes. So when we know who we are, we know what to do. When we know who we are, we can step forward in passion and perseverance. We can be patient. And through this process, we get to see God's purposes unfold. We get to be a part 
of the purpose that God has for this moment in time. Now, when we often read the book of Esther, we think of for such a time as this, and that's what he goes on to continue. Mordecai says, he told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people, but from another place. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. And who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position as queen for such a time as this. Now, when we talk about purpose, is, is I think that you, God has this purpose. Several purposes for us, and he works in us to draw us closer to himself and to form us more in the likeness of his son, Jesus. And so when we, when we know who we are, and when we, and when we step forward in faith with grit, is that we get to be a part of what the Lord is doing in this moment. Esther gets to be a part of what the Lord is doing in this moment. The Lord's purpose will always prevail. And this is what happens, though, I think, is when we are overcome by fear, is that in opposition to passion, perseverance, and patience, perhaps it's marked by apathy. That when we're overcome by fear, we just care a little bit less about the Lord's promises. We care a little bit less about our involvement. Or perhaps we don't believe that we are worthy of this passion or being involved in the Lord's plan. So we become apathetic. And then that leads to abandonment. That we jump ship from the mission that the Lord has us in because of our fear. And then... We have an appetite, an appetite of selfish ambition that we are not submitting to the Lord's work. We are not submitting to the Lord's plan or be a part of the Lord's purpose, but because we've become slightly apathetic, we then have an appetite for selfishness that we just kind of sink inward and it's about our comfort, which then kind of leads to no purpose fulfilled or at least our involvement in it. And so what we get to see here is that fear can paralyze us. Fear can postpone opportunities for God's purpose to be fulfilled. Or we might forfeit our involvement in his purpose in this place and time. But his purpose will prevail. We know that. Because it's his purpose, not ours. So once again, who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that whatever context you're in, is that the Lord has you right where he wants you? Maybe you work in a church that perhaps this is the time and place for such a time as this. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, that you are here for such a time as this, retired in the third ward for such a time as this. Church planting intern for such a time as this. Forklift operator for such a time as this. Esthetician for such a time as this in this business. The list goes on. Do you believe that the Lord has you there for that purpose and that truth? I tell this story quite a bit. I was trying to think of a new story and I felt that the Lord was asking me to share this one again. 
is that I live just about a mile and a half south of here. And most every morning I drive to morning devotions at Target that we have. And I was driving down Fulton Street, getting close to some apartments, and I noticed a group of about six or seven high school boys beating up a younger boy. And I was in a, a small minivan at that time, and I was thinking, I saw this happening, I was paying attention to what was around me, and I was like, I think I need to break up this fight. But I was paralyzed by, by fear. I, did, I, I was worried about breaking my car because it was a fairly high curb. There, was, there wasn't a, a, a ramp up. And so I was thinking, it's a one-lane road here because it drives parallel right alongside the metro rail. And so do I jump up on the curb and, and park uh, and, and hop on out? Do I just stop the car in the middle of the road and perhaps trust that if I get out of the car that everybody else will jump out of the car with me to, uh, to, to save this boy from being beaten up. Um, but then all of a sudden I keep driving and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm gone. I'm way past. And Aaron will oftentimes, really recently with me, is that he's reminding me to trust my gut. And I think that's a lot of the times that... Um, that what we don't do is when we overthink things is that we allow fear to take just enough of a hold upon us that fear can just get us to think just long enough before the opportunity is gone. And that sticks out with me as just one of the stories of many about when I was paralyzed with fear because I didn't want to get hurt. I'm not that big of a guy. Um, and although now I've been doing CrossFit for about six, seven months, so maybe this is a different story now. <laughs> but you know what? Is that when I know who I am, I know what to do. And really at that moment, the reason that fear paralyzed me is because I forgot that perhaps the Lord was in this. And do I trust that the Lord loves me, even in a situation like that? Even if I get hit, do I trust that it'll be okay? Because it's not about me. It's not about me in the first place. It's perhaps about bringing some relief and salvation to a young boy who is getting hurt. So, a quote for you is that perhaps self-preservation, preserving our body, preserving our image, preserving our comfort, preserving... Um, our image is mutually exclusive from being a follower of Jesus. The call of a disciple is a call to come and to die. We know that greater love has no one than this, that he who lays his life down for his friends. When we know who we are, we know what to do. When we know who we are, we know whose we are, and we know the character of our Father. It's important to know the character of our Father because that informs who we are, that we have the Father's DNA within us. So, what do we know of fear? 1 John chapter 4, 18 and 19. Jesus says this. John says this. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he, Jesus, first loved us. 
There is no fear in love. God's love casts out fear. And knowing who we are propels us to live by faith. There's no fear in love. Mordecai stepping forward in sackcloth and ashes at the king's gate. Mordecai going to Esther saying, you must talk to the king. Our people are going to die. Mordecai not bowing down and worshiping and paying homage to Haman. He knew who he was. And here's another thing in here. It says, so the one who fears is not complete in love. And I think as I have to reflect on my life, reflecting on these opportunities that I passed by, those boys who are beating the other boy up, the fears that I have of inviting people into my home because maybe they won't like it, the list goes on and on and on, is that really what we're being told here is that I have an immature, I have an incomplete I have a false view of love. And then I have to recognize that, that if I am living by fear and not of faith, I don't really know the Lord. I don't really know of his love because I'm not trusting. So going back to that story of driving down Fulton in my red minivan, my red Mazda 5, trying to think if I can hop a curb or not, trying to save the day, is that I did not believe that the Lord was with me. I hesitated. I didn't trust my gut. How often do we do that? But the invitation is to come and be with Jesus, to come and read scripture, to live life in our Christian community where we get to know the Father, we get to know each other, we get to know Jesus and know that we need not fear because God is with us. And if God is with us, who can be against us? And we also know that nothing can separate us from his love, yet we believe that we are separate from him when we step into these things. But we love because he first loved us. Because we know that Jesus went to the cross for us. us. And we talk about passion. That's called the Passion Week where Jesus is weak leading up to crucifixion on the cross, that Jesus was so passionate about you and about me and the entire world that he suffered on the cross for us. That his passion led him to persevere for you. That his passion led him to persevere for his children. That he created to suffer and take the penalty for our sins because we are worthy, because he loves us. He first loved us. So what does Mordecai do? Esther sent this reply to Mordecai after he had said, for such a time as this. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day, I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded him. 
Esther responds in faith. Esther gets to a point where she can say, if I die, I will die. Because Mordecai reminded her of who she was. Grit begins with identity. When we know who we are, we know what to do. That Esther was able to cling on to faith in the promises of God that I am God's daughter. And if I die, I die because I know that this life is not the end. Living with grit, living by faith and not fear requires having a kingdom mindset where we know that this life is temporary, that our eternal home is in heaven with Jesus and with all the saints who have gone before us in paradise. I know oftentimes I get caught up in that this life is my life. I want to enjoy this life because this life is all I know. But the invitation of the Lord is to th see things differently, and those are through the glasses of faith. So Esther, after being reminded of who she is, was able to return to the Lord. Because she didn't make a decision right there. She fasted and prayed. When was the last time we fasted and prayed? I wonder what would happen. Fasting, I don't know much about it. Uh, I think it's been um, a number of Christians practice it. Uh, we've practiced it a bit at Oikos. Um, but I wonder if it would, what it would look like for us to explore that more. For clarity. And that's what they did. And so we continue. Then on the third day, Esther dressed in her royal clothing and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom facing its entrance. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard, she gained favor in his eyes. You know, Esther is one of those books where the name of God is actually not mentioned one time. But what I love about it is that you see the working of the Holy Spirit in and out of everything in here. That the Lord has orchestrated all these little divine appointments that are happening just the way to fulfill his purpose. And we have that today too. That when we know who we are and, and step forward and grit with passion and perseverance and patience and that we get to be a part of the incredible things that the Lord is doing is that it's not up to us to just, that is, is kind of my wife said earlier in, in her prayer, is that we don't have to muster up and manipulate and control uh, as we have grit. But really, I think probably one of the most challenging parts, but yet the most rewarding parts of grit, is releasing control. That it can be hard to surrender to the Lord and to know that we don't have to fix it and we can hand it over. For as David preached last week, is that who are we? We are God's beloved. We are chosen. We're his sons and daughters, loved dearly. Let's read Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. 
He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one who is Christ. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son and a daughter. And if a son and daughter, then God has made you an heir to all that is the kingdom of God. Mordecai knew who he was. Esther, through Mordecai, was reminded of who she was, and their identity mobilized them with the grit needed to save God's people, to fulfill God's purpose. And here's what I love. Grit is a community practice. Grit doesn't have to be something that we muster up on our own. That we're invited to live life in community. We're invited to live life in family. Sure, we can be saved living life in isolation. But when we isolate ourselves from each other, then yeah, you know what? Maybe we do have to muster up grit. But the beauty of living life in community is that we get to remind each other of who we are. That when we see our brothers and sisters struggling, that maybe they are getting a bit apathetic, is that from a posture of empathy and of love, is that we can remind each other, you're God's daughter. God is close to you. He loves you. He's with you. He died for you. And he will not give up on you. Grit is a community practice, so we can spur one another on. Therefore, let us draw near with a genuine heart, with the certainty that our faith gives us since our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed with pure water, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering because the one who made the promises is reliable. And let us consider each other carefully for the purpose of sparking love and good deeds. Don't stop meeting together with the other believers, which some people have gotten into the habit of doing. Instead, encourage each other, especially as you see the day drawing near. May we be like Mordecai. May we know who God is. May we know whom we are so that we might live forward in faith, in God's promises, that we might be able to live with passion, to persevere, and to be patient knowing that he's in control so that we might get to be a part of something incredible. And be able to remind those around us who we are. And that for such a time as this, we get to be a part of something incredible. But may we also be like Esther. May we also receive those words from, the, from others. Because Esther could have said, no way. That's fine. I don't want to die. But when the Holy Spirit cultivates our hearts is that we can listen to those that the Lord puts in our life. So may we have a posture of Esther where she was able to be affirmed and encouraged by Mordecai and that she was able to remember who she was, to realign, to recenter, to step forward 
trusting that if it would be the Lord's will, that the king might point the golden scepter toward her way and get to save her people. So we don't live in isolation where fear bounds. In isolation, we begin to buy lies where voices of worthlessness creep in, leading us toward apathy and abandonment from the missions that God calls us to. May we spur one another on instead as we live life in community, as we live life not of fear but of love, knowing that we love one another because Christ first loved us. I want to show you a video um, of a little girl who walked for the first time battling cerebral palsy. That this little girl, through the grit of her own and through the grit of her family, got to see this four-year-old little girl walk for the first time. And so what we'll see is that when grit is a community practice, there is much joy in being a part of God's purpose fulfilled together. Let's pray. God, this morning we give you our fears. We give you our fears. We ask, Lord, that you would capture them, that you might take them away from us. Lord, the lies that we buy about ourselves and who we are, we rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Keep Satan and his demons far, far from us, that we might live in faith, not of fear, that we might remember who we are, that may our lives be marked with grit, may they be marked with passion and perseverance and patience as we live this life with a kingdom mindset to fulfill your purposes. Lord, the joy that we get to experience when we spur one another on, the joy we get to experience when we see one another accomplish great things, the joy that we get to experience together when your kingdom breaks through, when lives are healed, when relationships are restored. Keep our eyes open for these things. So we give you thanks. As we live out of faith and not of fear, and remember who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.